Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. At the very end of 2019, the World Food Program issued a forecast of where it expects to find the worst hunger crises this year. The report, called Global Hotspots 2020, identifies 15 major food emergencies that are poised to intensify and will demand greater worldwide attention. On the line with me to discuss where these hotspots are and what is driving food insecurity in those emergencies is Arif Hussein. He is the chief economist of the World Food Program and director of the Food Security Analysis and Trends Service at WFP. We kick off discussing what is meant by food insecurity and also how he collects data around hunger. We then have a longer conversation about the relationship between climate change, conflict, migration, and food security. The conversation gets a bit wonky at times, which is a good thing. You'll definitely learn a lot from my conversation with Arif Hussein. And I just want to say a quick note of hello to any new subscribers to the show. We've gotten many new subscribers over the last several weeks, so welcome to the show. I would encourage you, if you are a new listener, to go back and search our archives for older episodes that might interest you. I've been doing this for a very long time, six years now, publishing episodes twice a week, every week. Chances are there's something interesting in there to you. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com, search on the archive, or just search in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening, and let me know what you think. And today's episode is brought to you by Northwestern University's online master's program in global health. You can learn how to make a meaningful difference in places where it is needed the most. Go to sps.northwestern.edu slash global or click on the ad on globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now here is my conversation with Arif Hussein, Chief Economist of the World Food Program. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. And my day job is essentially to look at what is happening in terms of hunger, in terms of food insecurity in the in the world. So uh, what we do is we um, measure, if you can say it that way, hunger in two ways. One is uh, people who, regardless of their situation, regardless of any crisis, they just go to bed hungry. And today in the world, about 821 million people 
are in that state. The second thing which we do is uh, we measure what's happening with people uh, who may be affected by some kind of a shock. This could be conflict, uh, this could be a drought, landslides, earthquakes, things like that. And that number of uh, people today is 113 million. And what's strange is that both of these numbers, uh, one, you, let's call it chronic hunger, meaning the 821, and also the acute hunger, 113 million, uh, these numbers have been going up over the last three years. And it's kind of strange that on one side we are talking about getting to, to zero hunger by 2030, and on the other side, instead of these numbers going down, they're in fact going up. Can I ask, so, like, how do you yeah. measure, say, that first number, the 821 million, the chronic hunger? I mean, it seems kind of straightforward. How do you measure the number of people affected by a shock, like a, like a conflict or, or a natural disaster? But how do you measure that, that kind of chronic hunger? So, so, so the chronic hunger is measured by, it is done at the country level. And basically what we look at is, uh, let's say, what is the need in the country? Yeah. So depending on, on the number of people in the country, depending on what they're, uh, you know, how many old, how many young, how many in the middle, uh, depending on uh, what type of uh, um, food they consume, uh, we, we, we define what is needed in the country to feed everyone. But And then on the other side, on the availability side, we look at what is the country producing, uh, you know, inside the country, what is their capacity to import food? And essentially, then we kind of match these numbers. So it is a match between what people can access, including economic access, and what is being provided or could be provided by the country. And when you match those two numbers, you see, uh, okay, so the country, given the purchasing power, given the country's capacity to import, can feed so many people and there is not enough for the rest. So this is how chronic hunger is uh, uh, defined. Uh, the other one, obviously, it's, it's like, you know, you go, you do the assessments after a particular shock, whether it's war, whether it's uh, drought, and you see how many people are affected. And, and in the world now, there are, there are many, many agencies uh, which come together basically to uh, agree on these numbers. Just to give you an example, for this chronic 821 million, there are five agencies coming together to come up with this number every year. Hmm. This includes Food and Agriculture Organization, uh, WFP, uh, IFAD, uh, UNICEF, uh, World Health Organization. And, uh, and on, the, on the huge side, meaning this 113 million number, we've got 17 different entities, agencies, both UN and non-UN come together and agree that, yes, this is the state of affairs. So I was very interested to see your year-in preview report of the parts of the world and the crises in the world where food security will be most severe. I was sort of shocked to see Zimbabwe on top of that list. I mean, it is not a country you know, where there's a hot conflict. Can you just kind of dig into the numbers a little bit and, and more broadly explain why Zimbabwe, of all places in the world, topped your list? Yeah, so, so let, me, uh, let me 
give you a little bit of a global context and then we can get into Zimbabwe. If you took all of these numbers uh, in terms of hungry people and said, okay, what is it that is causing it? Right? You can essentially come up with three specific things. Number one, by far, is conflict. Okay, so, so just to put that in perspective, uh, of that 821 million people, 60% live in conflict-affected countries. Okay? We say that there are about 150 million stunted children in the world. Mm-hmm. And, and explain so, what stunting is for those who don't, who kids don't know. Kids under five-year-old kids who haven't grown enough for their age. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a function, a consequence of undernutrition or malnutrition. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so there are about 150 million, 149 point something million people and kids in this world who are what we call in our terminology stunted. Mm-hmm. Over 75% of these kids are in conflict-affected countries. On top of that, we got about 50, close to 50 million children who we call wasted, meaning that their weight is not enough for their height under five years old, right? And, and, and you say both stunting and wasting, you know, is, is harmful, obviously, to the child at the time, but also has severe lifelong consequences. Absolutely right. It has a severe lifelong consequences. And, and to be honest with you, if your child is in that state, what can we say about yourself, mm. right? So it is about current generation suffering, but also the next generation suffering. And guess what? Vast majority of these children are again in conflict-affected countries. 80% of our resources, well, food program resources are spent in conflict-affected countries. So unless we sort out conflict, we cannot sort out hunger, pure and simple. Right? And then the second thing uh, which we see uh, affecting hunger in the world is uh, climate variability, climate extremes, climate change, global warming, climate shocks, pick your word. The bottom line is that climate right now is playing havoc with people's lives on the ground. Just to put this in numbers, in 1990s, per year, you had about 100 climatic shocks, 100 events, no, like, like uh, hurricanes, things like that. 100. Today, you know, the average is 213 events. In 51 countries, you know, the the agricultural season, it is either starting early or it is shortened. So, well, you say, I mean, what does that mean? So, so think about, uh, uh, you know, 80% of our food is produced by smallholder farmers. And uh, think about, and vast majority of people we deal with, poor people, they live in rural areas and do subsistence farming. So when, let's say, you know, you were using uh, um, seeds which matured in four months, but now the season has shrunk to three months, what happens to you? Or you were used to planting, let's say, in March. But now the rains don't come till May. Uh, what happens to you? And these are like real things, real things which are because of the climate, which are affecting people on the ground. And we see this day in and day out. 
So, so it is beyond the discussion of whether climate change is real or not. It is the on-the-ground impact as we see right now, for which we have tons and tons of uh, of uh, evidence. So, so for example, in Zimbabwe, which tops yeah. your list, this how really- how has climate change affected food security there, or in what ways have you have you seen climate change affect food security there? Yeah, so so look at this. No, in Zimbabwe, we are right now we are saying that about seven point seven million people are 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 uh, are hungry, are are food insecure, and uh, one of the biggest reasons for that is because there is a fifty percent harvest failure. And you why is fi- that? They said there's a fifty percent. That's correct. Yeah. So so I mean, why is that? What we are seeing today, I mean, also in Zimbabwe's case, you know, there is there are severe economic issues uh, there, you know, which also impact the, the the country. So that kind of takes me also to the third reason, which is economic marginalization. And and in most places, what you would see is that it is not oh, it's only conflict, oh, it's only climate, oh, it's only economics. It is always a combination of the three. And when these type of things come together, and you know Zimbabwe being a classic example in that sense, uh, then uh, you know people people suffer. And uh, and what we have seen is in many places when people suffer, uh, they they cope in different ways. Mm-hmm. And migration is one way of coping with that. Can can you then describe what the link is between food insecurity? Um, you know, caused potentially by climate change and migration. Yeah, so so what we, we see is that, um, like I was saying, you have most of these, these, uh, um, these people, uh, poor people, um, they live in rural areas. About three-fourths of the vulnerable people, extremely poor people, live in rural areas. And they rely on agriculture. And when agriculture is disrupted, whether it is because of climate or it is because of conflict, uh, it changes their dynamics. What do I mean by that? Let's take conflict. Uh, if you cannot go to your field, you cannot do your, you cannot plant your crops. Or if the crops are standing you cannot harvest them. If there is conflict, uh, transport stops to work. That means that markets in those areas stop to work. Uh, if there is uh, conflict, that means that now people, these farmers cannot sell their produce. That means that they have no money, which means that they don't have any purchasing power. So even the incentive for the private sector to bring crops and things to these places goes away. Why? Because there is conflict. Why should they take the risk, especially if there is not even any money? So how do people deal with that? People deal with that by moving out of these places. And this is why today you have the the level of displacement in the world, forcibly displaced people, is 71 million, right? Of which about 41 million people are internally displaced, meaning displaced within their own countries. And there are about 26 million refugees. 
Are you able to, in, in, in your data, determine sort of what percentage of that 71 million are displaced, you know, primarily due to food security concerns? Like, is that, an, are you able to disaggregate that number at all? So, so like I was saying, I mean, the, 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 what we can, we can, we can tell you through data, through analysis is that for every 1% increase in uh, hunger, there are 2% more people who will leave their countries. Hmm. Okay. And for every one year increase, one additional year of conflict, about half a percent more people will leave their countries. Okay. So, so you have, these are, these are empirically established uh, uh, figures, um, which, uh, which kind of directly link both conflict to hunger and displacement, and also hunger to conflict to displacement. What do I mean by that? And that, that's where climate becomes really important. In many cases, what we have experienced is that uh, when there is not enough rain and water points dry out, what you what you see is uh, that uh, nomadic populations, people with livestock, they start to move away from their traditional routes, and they start to move through, let's say, agricultural fields, and that then gets into a conflict between the sedentary, meaning the agricultural people and the nomadic, meaning the livestock people. And the classic example of that, if you go and look back, is the, the Darfur crisis. The start of the Darfur crisis was exactly about this. So you have climate, which causes also conflict. You have enhanced food insecurity, and you have conflict, which directly causes food insecurity as well. And what we see is that when people move, where do they go? They go to places where there is then additional population pressures. There are other factors which start to, to happen, which starts to, to, to cause problems over there as well. So we have seen this in whether you're talking about Sahel, whether you're talking about Syria, whether you're talking about, uh, I don't know, South Sudan and, and, and Uganda. It is something which is quite uh, um quite well proven climate change you know will only get worse in the coming years yeah. um conflicts last longer than they have in in any time in recent history so these two exacerbating factors are only going to you know continue to grind on and get worse how are organizations like yours planning and preparing to deal with with you know, with, with the fact that, you know, climate change is getting worse and conflicts are lasting longer. Yeah. So, so, you know, it is about uh, breaking the cycle, right? So, so in a way you have to see that hunger causes conflict and conflict ca causes hunger. So for agencies like mine or ours as world food program, uh, we are in the business of, uh, of saving lives. You know, we, when, whenever people are in distress, whether it's in South Sudan or Yemen or Syria or in Iraq or Central African Republic, we, we are there to save lives. But we also need to be in the business of saving lives, as in changing lives. 
and uh, and that is something where we need to show uh, we not only need to take care of of uh, let's say places which are already on fire but also places which uh, have the potential to be on the, on fire and we need to get in those places earlier enough so we can help you know before uh, a conflict could start or a crisis could totally destroy you know uh, people's uh, livelihoods and 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 we try to to do that but we need to do a lot more but bottom line bottom line is that uh, you know if, if you say can we beat hunger in 10 years yes we can but in order for that to happen we must end conflicts first if we can end the conflicts we can get to zero hunger we can even you know uh, and also on the climate side my sense is that you know uh, i'm kind of optimistic as well um, meaning we see you know some some not so great things happening on the ground because of the climate and climate change uh, but maybe in 10 years maybe in 15 years we will if we do the right things now maybe we will find technologies and things to get out of that but what do we do now what do we do in the in the short term in the near term uh, which will save lives and change lives this is where we want to push and it's uh, frankly i mean it's not just uh, you know world food program it is all of us as as partners whether in un un private sector uh, governments must be in the center for this who need to sort of come together and and say that okay yes uh, we need to 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 save lives but also we need to change lives well arif thank you so much for your time this is very helpful Thank you very much. I mean, uh, this is uh, this is very very important for us as well. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Arif Hussein. That was very helpful. And as I said at the outset, wonky and interesting. And I am sure that you learned a lot from this episode. I know I did. Thank you. All right. We have some great episodes coming up in the near future. So stay tuned, and we'll see you soon. Bye.